Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. My last name is Cantor, but it didn't always be, it wasn't Cantor. It became Cantor. It became Cantor one day, standing in front of one desk in Ellis Island when my grandfather and my great-grandfather stood there in 1907 and was asked what their name was, and they said, you know, our name is Kentorovich. And the man at the desk said, no, 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 not in America. <laughs> that's way too, we can't have any Kentorovich, are you kidding? Yeah, cut it off, it's Cantor. And that's how my family name got changed from Kentorovich to Cantors. Well, in Russian, Kentorovich means the son of a Cantor, and the, as I said, the Cantor's the one who sings, and so, that's why I'm under the illusion that I can sing, but I can't, but anyway. But my family name was Kantorovich because we were a line of cantors from Vilnius in Lithuania. So every Rosh Hashanah and every Yom Kippur went to the synagogue, my father would tell me over and over again how my great-grandfather and my grandfather sung this song, Avinu, in the synagogue in Lithuania. And there's one phrase that's repeated three times in this prayer of uh, Avinu, Avinu Malkenu, and it is the phrase, Shema Kolenu, Shema Kolenu. Shema, you know, Shema means here, and uh, Kol is voice, and Enu is us, so what Shema Kolenu means is hear our voice, hear our voice. And every Jewish person in that group, hearing his Sermon on the Mount, when they heard him say, our Father, Avenu, they thought of this prayer, this song, this Avenu, this longing of this prayer. The melody of the prayer is very mournful, it's very longing, it's very pleading. Alvina Malkano is actually a very sad melody, kind of drags on, it goes like this. Avinu Malkenu, Avinu Malkenu, Avinu Malkenu, Shemakolenu, Shemakolenu. And then it goes on. Avinu Malkenu, Avinu Malkenu, Shemakolenu, Shemakolenu. That's how it goes. And what is it saying? There's a pleading over our Father, our King, hear our voice, hear our voice voice, hear our voice. It's so sad that even Barbara Streisand could not take away its sadness when she sung it for the president. So when the Lord Jesus taught them to pray, Our Father or Avinu, he's right up their alley, and they're thinking Alvino Malkino, but he doesn't say the next word. He goes in a totally different direction when he says, Avinu Shiboshamayim. So in other words, Our Father which art in heaven. So this is a departure from the traditional prayer. He starts off with Alvino, and they say, okay, it's very interesting, we understand that, we've heard that before, but now it's become clear he's not gonna do as the rabbis did to teach them what to recite, when to recite it, 
how to recite it from the Siddur, from the prayer book in the synagogue. And this was leading the people to see the difference between his teaching and the teaching of the rabbis, which that's really what the Sermon on the Mount's all about, which led them to at the end of his teaching to say in Matthew 7, 28, Matthew 7, 28 through 29, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Because the people were tired of being taught by the rabbis, taught words that they should pray, foods that they should eat and should not eat, clothes that they should wear, work that they should do and not do on the Sabbath. That was the whole teaching. That's the whole teaching. They're teaching then, it's the teaching now. And they're tired of being told by the rabbis, you must do and you must not do. So now the Lord Jesus comes on the scene with the Sermon on the Mount. This is like a breath, a great breath of fresh air. He's teaching them something altogether new. His emphasis is altogether different. You know, they were on the outward of the words you say and the outward of the foods you eat and the outward of the clothes you wear and the outward of the work that you do. He's turning the whole emphasis around and now it's on the inner it's on the thoughts that you must think and not think. It's on the love that you must have and the hatred you must not harbor. It's on the heart that you must have and this is the heart you must not have. This is a new teaching, this is a new direction. It's all on the inner, whereas the rabbis is teaching all on the outer and this is why he used the word when he came to this prayer, manner, don't take this as literal, you must do these exact words. It's a manner because the Lord Jesus never spoke about the words that you should pray and the food that you should eat and not eat and the clothes that you should wear and the work that you should do and not do on the Sabbath. He never did that. And so that led the people to say, we never heard any rabbi teach like this. There's an authority to his teaching, an authority from heaven. We never heard it from the rabbis before, the scribes. So after the word Avinu, and, or our father, it gets interesting now. And it gets thought-provoking for the people because, like I said, he says, Shebu Shemaim, which means, which art in heaven. And so now he's introducing them to pray in verse nine, hallowed be thy name, hallowed be thy name. Well, you know, hallowed, we don't use the word hallowed. I haven't heard it in the last 24 hours. Hallowed is an old English word and it means to make holy, to make holy. If you take something and you make it holy, let's say by purification, then you hallowed it. This was done for the spoils that the children of Israel took in war. And then they took those spoils and they used them in the tabernacle for well, the jewels that the women received from the Egyptians when they left Egypt, including the fine twine linen, you know, Egyptian cotton, it was very famous then, very famous now, and all the silver and the gold, and a lot of precious metals. When they got those metals, the gold, the silver, and so forth, they were cast into idols. They were idols. That's what they were. Many of them were idols. And they were idols that the Egyptians used. They were idols that the inhabitants of the land used. Well, what in the world? How do you take something that's an idol and now introduce it into God's tabernacle for worship? How do you do that? Oh, very simple. You hallow it. You sanctify it. You sanctify comes the word cleanse. You cleanse it. So what did he mean by hallowed be thy name? Because that means make holy your name, cleanse your name. Well, how are you gonna do that? God's name is already holy. You cannot make something holy that's already holy. You cannot hallow something that's already holy. God's name is already holy. You can't make God's name any more holy than it already is. God's name is already clean. 
So it doesn't need to be sanctified, doesn't need to be cleansed, doesn't need to be made clean. You can't make something clean that's already clean. So hallowed be thy name does not mean make God's name holy in the sense, but because it's already holy. Well, then what does it mean? What does it mean to make God's name holy or hallowed be thy name? Well, what he meant was to pray a wish, pray a desire that on earth God's name would be honored and revered as holy like it is in heaven. God's name today, let's face it, it's dragged to the dirt. God's name is dragged through the dirt. The name Jesus Christ is used as a curse word. It reminds me of a construction man, not Clint, that I was with, and when he saw that his men built the roof wrong and it had to be redone, he used the Lord's name. He said, Jesus Christ. And I stopped him. I said, don't do that. I said, what you did is far worse than the problem of rebuilding the roof. And so the Lord said, hallowed be thy name. And by the way, this is the first of three desires of what should come to earth. There's three desires here in this prayer. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And by the way, that last phrase for the last one, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, really covers all three of these three prayers because these are prayers of what should change on earth and be like it is in heaven. And these three prayers of this part of this prayer are all desires for what is hoped for, for what is longed for on earth as it is in heaven. It kind of goes like this. I desire with all my heart, I long for with all my soul that your name would be holy, would be held in reverence, would be respected on earth like your name is revered and respected and honored, held as holy in heaven. And all that is encompassed in the prayer, hallowed be thy name. And the next part, I desire with all my heart, I long for with all my soul that your kingdom would come to earth and that this kingdom of darkness is on earth would stop and so that earth can be like it is in heaven. And all that is encompassed in the part of his prayer where he says, thy kingdom come. And then the last one, the third part, I desire with all my heart, I long for with all my soul that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven and all that is encompassed with thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, you ask the question, why do you pray these prayers? Like, well, God calls us ambassadors. We are God's ambassadors in 2 Corinthians 5.26. 2 Corinthians 5.26 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Very simple. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven. Now, an ambassador lives in a foreign country, and we live in a foreign country. We're the foreign country's earth and we are the ambassadors of heaven living in the foreign country of earth, that's who we are. And one expectation of an ambassador is that he communicates with his home country. Ambassador must communicate with his home country. He has to tell his home country about the situation in the foreign country that he lives in and how his home country is viewed in the foreign country he lives in and what kind of needs there are. So as ambassadors of heaven, that's what we do. As ambassadors of heaven, we are expected to communicate with God in heaven and tell him about the situation down here in the foreign country of earth and tell God how he and kingdom of heaven is viewed in the foreign country on earth and what the needs are. So these three prayers are the ambassador communications. These are the prayers that we as ambassadors of heaven, living on earth, send back to God in our home country about the situations here on earth and how heaven is viewed on earth and what the needs are. So our first ambassador prayer, communique, that we send back to heaven 
is a report where the situation here on earth is that your name is not revered. It's not viewed as holy, it's not respected, it's not honored. That's the situation down here on earth. The need is that on earth your name needs to be holy, hallowed. And that communique is transmitted back to heaven in the first three of these ambassador prayers of hallowed be thy name. Then in our second ambassador prayer communique that we sent to heaven, we report, well, the situation here on earth is that there's a great deterioration of morals. There's no clean living, there's no living for Jesus, and it's terrible. The situation is that the kingdom of darkness is spreading more and more, getting more influence over it all, it's awful, and the situation, that situation down here on earth, and the need is that your kingdom come to earth. And the communique that's all transmitted, all that, that second prayer is just summed up in the words, thy kingdom come. And then in the third ambassador prayer that we send back to heaven, we report the situation down here on earth, no one cares about your will down here. There's just a lot of passive aggression that people say that they're too bored with the question about your will you know, they don't care about WWJD, what would Jesus do? They're done with that. People on earth have no interest in living for Jesus. They're living for themselves. They say things like, well, do it because you only live once. And we're saying they only live once. The Bible says you can live twice. They don't see a second birth. There's no second eternal life. There's no interest in using their lives to do the will of God. So the need down here on earth is that your will should be done in heaven like it is. And we send that communique up there and he says the way you do that, he does that through these words, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is what the first three prayers are about in the Lord's model prayer. They're prayers of the ambassadors of heaven reporting on conditions here on earth and the needs on earth. And those three prayers being ambassadors for God, that's our responsibility. That's our responsibility. Now. These three prayers, the ambassador prayers, they come before any personal request. Those come later. We have, and when the message is, we have a responsibility for earth. We have a responsibility for the world. We don't like to think that. We like to think, no, I gotta take care of myself, let the world take care of it. No. He says in Matthew 5.13, a verse we've already covered, Matthew 5.13 and 14, ye are the salt of the earth. And then he says in Matthew, the next verse, 5.14, ye are the light of the world. A city that is hid on a hill cannot be, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So he says to us, we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. This is the earth, this is the world he's talking about. And we wanna say, no, we're the salt for our own lives. We're just gonna keep our own lives in order. And God says, no, you're the salt of the earth. And a tendency to say, no, we're just gonna be a light for ourselves. And God says, no, you're the light of the world. So we have a responsibility for the earth and for the world and is to be faithful ambassadors. As a matter of fact, the rest of that verse that I quoted earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.20, 2 Corinthians 5.20 is, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So we not only have a responsibility as ambassadors to report back to the home office in heaven about earth and ask for the needs to be provided for, as ambassadors we also have the responsibility to beg, to plead, to persuade lost people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you, beg you, by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. But to hallow, 
hallow thy name, the hallow the name of God, it starts with us. It starts with us. It's what Peter was saying here in 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15 says, sanctify the Lord in your hearts, in your hearts. Now when he said that, that wasn't a foreign idea, it was a new idea. Isaiah said, Isaiah 8.13, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your dread and let him be your, your fear and be your dread and he shall be for a sanctuary. So what Isaiah told us there is the two practical ways that we sanctify the Lord in our hearts. The first one is let him be your fear. Let him be your fear. It means that we are no longer afraid of what man can do to us, or let me put it this way. We're more afraid of what God can do to us than what we are of what man can do to us. That's how you sanctify the Lord in the heart. It's the fear of the Lord, to be more afraid of what God can do than what man can do. That's the first practical way. Hallowed be thy name. Second, is the next part, Isaiah 8.14, Isaiah 8.14, where you sanctify the Lord and he shall be for a sanctuary. He shall be for a sanctuary. It means that, hallowed be thy name, means that we sanctify the Lord when we run to him for protection. We run to him for shielding and we flee to him. We, we pray to him, we trust that he's going to protect us. That's sanctifying the Lord. That's be, making God's name hallowed. Next, he says in verse 10, thy kingdom come. So here he's leading us to want the kingdom of God. He's leading us to cut the ties with this world. He's leading us to, it's a pretty nice land when they left Sinai as they were getting on the Egypt side of Jordan. It was nice land there. In fact, a couple of the tribes actually wanted to stay there. But God, it's called them crossover, crossover. So he's leading us to not stay on the Egypt side of Jordan here on earth, but he's leading us to want to cross over Jordan to God's land and to see this side of the Jordan, it's another, the Egypt side of Jordan, this side of Jordan, the world we live in as not ours, not ours, not us, it's not, not for us. He wants us to follow him when he says, John 8, 23, John 8, 23, I am not of this world. He said, I am not of this world. So when when we pray, thy kingdom come, it's really getting in line and following him to say, well, he's not of this world, we are not of this world, which is what he said when he prayed in John 17, 16, John 17, 16, when he described us and he said, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So to pray the intent of thy kingdom come is leading us to really Follow the words of the hymn that says, take the world, but give me Jesus. All his joys are but a name, but his love abides forever. So by praying thy kingdom come, he's wanting us to don't be a friend of the world. Break your friendship with the world. Because James 4.4 says, James 4.4 says, friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So by praying thy kingdom come, he wants us, don't be a friend of the world. Don't be a friend of the world. To pray thy kingdom come is really to pray a prayer to God of get me out of this place. That's what it means. Now, then in verse 11, of 10 rather, verse 10 he says, thy will be done in heaven as it is on earth. That's really a denial of our will, just like he prayed in Luke 22:42. 42. Luke 22:42, 42, saying, Father, 
If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Okay, now he comes to the next desire that we should have, and that's in verse 11, when he says that we should have a desire that's along the lines of, give us this day our daily bread. By the way, uh, he doesn't say, give me this day my daily bread. He said, give us, which it teaches us that we should think of others also when we're praying. It's not all about us. We should think of others in their need. Now he says, give us this day, not tomorrow, just this day, because it's all about this day. And this day, the mentality of this day mentality is very important because it's like the manna. The manna was a daily event. It was a daily dependence on God. So we only ask for today, not for tomorrow, because really, when you think about those people in the manna, in the wilderness, eating the manna, they were really living hand to mouth. And that's the way he wants us to see ourselves, living hand to mouth. This is all about how we view ourselves. I mean, when we ask for daily bread, give us this, our daily bread, we're asking for what most people already have. So, and they didn't ask for it, but they have it. So the world that doesn't care about God, they have daily bread. We who care, we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're asking for what they already have. Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Because he wants to see in us a life developed. It's all about developing a life. No, they don't care about developing a life, but he wants us to develop a life of asking and thanking God. Asking God and thanking God. This is a development. This doesn't come naturally, but he wants us to develop this but develop this. Now, these people, they have their daily bread. They're not asking for it. They're not thanking God for it. They just have it. Okay, fine. But he says, not you. You ask, and when you receive, you give thanks, because that's the life of the Christian that has to be developed. Now, again, takes us back to the manna. It's very interesting, the manna in Exodus 16, 4, Exodus 16, 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So, you know, you, you can imagine that scene, you know, people coming to Moses and saying, Moses, you know, in case you haven't noticed, we're millions of people, what are we gonna eat here? There's no delicatessens out here, so what are we gonna eat? And then Moses, he doesn't know, so he turns to the Lord and says, well, what are they gonna eat? And Moses comes back to the people with this report in Exodus 16, five, well, Exodus 16, four rather, 16, four, and he says, well, the Lord said, behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you, <laughs> and you gotta go out every day and gather a certain rate. And get imagine the people, you know, when Moses said that, said, what did he just say? God's gonna rain bread from heaven every day? There's some kind of a giant bakery up there? and it's gonna bake all this bread, it's gonna throw it out so we have fall from the sky, you mean just the right amount is also gonna fall every day, and we gotta go out every day and gather that? You know, imagine one person, you know, maybe he can't sleep at night, he's worried, you know. His wife comes to him and says, Ralph, why can't you sleep, you know? And he says, I can't stop worrying about tomorrow whether the bread's gonna be there or not, <laughs> it won't be enough. But every day for 40 years that happened. That's, there wasn't one day when it failed to fall, and there was, just the right amount, not too much, not too little, the right amount. Some people gathered up a lot more and the others didn't gather very much and they shared. You know, they said, okay, but it was all the right amount. That's a picture for us 
of our daily dependence on God for the manna. All behind this give us day our daily bread. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 